This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me tonight are Richard Halls. Hello, everyone. Stephen Lockridge. Hello. And in a short while, uh, Tom Jolliffe will be joining us for an interview where we're going to be talking to him about his upcoming film. Uh, Tom is a prolific screenwriter who's recently written a film called Renegades, which is our top review. In fact, all the films tonight were scripted by him. We're following up Renegades with Fiernado, uh, then Mega Lightning, uh, Wrath of Van Helsing. Um, Tom is also going to talk a little bit about his short shot uh, called Estranged. And then we're going to round off with our DTV throwback, Keaton's Cop. So without further ado, let's crack on. So to kick off the show, we're joined by Tom Jolliffe. He's a prolific screenwriter and friend of the show, uh, and also contributor to the Flickering Myth um, website. Uh, Tom, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back on. I'm assuming you still are writing for the Flickering Myth. Or, I am, yeah. Yep, yep uh, still, still regularly contributing. I was in the middle of um, doing an article, actually, before I... I logged on for the interview, so still going, yeah. Now, um, Rich had a quick peek at your IMDb page, and he reckons you've got something like 11 scripts currently in production or, or due to come out. It's probably something, I mean, there's a few that aren't even on IMDb yet. So, yeah, I've, I've got a handful that haven't even made it to IMDb yet. Um, so that's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> hmm. I can so how, how long, how, how much time do you get for a script? Uh, it can, it can depend. So like over Christmas, I did a couple of Christmas films. They've made it on to IMDb. Um, I had, uh, about 10 days ish on each one to get those ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were fully sort of treatmented and they had everything kind of laid out. So I just had to sort of script it up. I see. Um, yeah. So, so certain things, something like Renegades, for example, had a longer development time, but part of that was kind of dictated by COVID at the time. Mm. So we almost had more development time <clears throat> as a consequence of that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, because about... uh, Renegades is Renegades is probably your your biggest film to date. I think it's fair to say, especially with the with the incredible cast that it's got. So, tell us a bit more about how that how you get got involved in that project and sort of the, the, the sort of steps along the way, and you know when you l- learned of the various people who became involved and and how you were feeling as 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 the pro- as the production was progressing. Yeah, so um, I kind of got involved on in it around about May 2020 so around about sort of just after the kickoff of COVID mm-hmm. um, so at this point everyone's at home they've got loads of time um, and I've been speaking to Jonathan Sothcott and uh, he said I've got this idea that I want to put uh, into a script and eventually into production which was 
you know, a very sort of basic outline of what Renegades was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a bunch of old boys getting revenge. Uh, at this point, he knew that Lee Majors would be in it. So, you know, he's good friends with um, Mr. Majors, mm-hmm. you know, which is all right for some <laughs> being best friends with like, you know, the $6 million man. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, we sort of knew he was involved. We knew Billy Murray would probably play one of the characters. Um, So it kind of went from there. And then I started scripting it shortly after Daniel Zerilli came on board. And that's when it kind of branched out and became something a little bit more international. Yeah, because he's an American director, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so is this a a British film with an American director director, or is it a co-financed? British American co-production. I mean, it's a little bit kind of you know half half really. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these films anyway, even if it, if it looks sort of you know 100% British on the tin, there's normally money coming from America. There's not really much money at all um, in the UK really that gets put into these films. Yeah, um, one, one of the things I like about the film is although it's it's got an American director, but you you wouldn't really know it. It's it's a very British movie. It feels British through and through. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we wanted to have that kind of sensibility in it, but we also wanted it to feel a little bit broader than just, you know, a standard gangster mm-hmm. revenge film. Um, so, yeah, there, uh, when Daniel came on board, he could attach people like um, Danny Trejo, Michael Pere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So their, their roles were kind of almost by chance as well. Mm-hmm. Um Again, it's, it's down to the pandemic. Everyone's kind of, um, you know, at home and not had much to do. Um, and then there's a little, they had a little break where um, restrictions were kind of lifted a little bit over in the States. Mm. Daniel was over there at the time and he just got the chance to film with um, Trejo. And then there was a chance to, that came up to film with Perret and then uh, the late, great Tiny Lister as well. Yes. Yeah, so that, he died yeah. in 2020, didn't he? So literally sort of two or three weeks after he shot his part for the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um sadly so yeah we got very kind of short notice so you know i wrote scenes for them we put them in you know we got them into the script um and basically all those parts with uh, those three were filmed before the majority that was filmed in the uk mm-hmm. And with the, the Danny Trejo sequence in particular, that was filmed literally in Danny Trejo's backyard. All right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Nice I'll, be, I'll be honest, you do notice a certain, you know, change in the, the filming style when there's certain scenes that you think that wasn't shot along with the rest of it. Um, you think, I don't yeah. think Danny Trejo, he's Danny Trejo supposed to be in London, but I'm not convinced at all that he was in London. <laughs> that makes complete sense yeah i mean he's supposed to be in london his character was a kind of variation of one that was there before so it mm-hmm. kind of got repurposed as um danny trejo yeah um as it happened as well ian ogilvy he lives over in the states so he was there oh okay um so he actually was on set with trejo yes. yeah i could see they were together so i wondered whether yeah. he got flown over or whatever i didn't realize he was he was based there yeah, so I mean, how, that's how great. I mean, Ian Ogilvy is is amazing. He's great in the movie. He's so, he's 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 got. I mean, th- this film is a it's kind of a spin off re- reworking of the week we uh, still kill the old way 
movies uh, that Softcott did before. Yeah. And I was a fan of the first one. I thought that was great. And I think taking that idea uh, and doing it in a different way and also, but keeping Ian Ogilvy involved was, I think was a really good step. I think he's a very, he's got a great um, presence and charisma about him and he's quite different to the other characters. So there's a, there's quite a variety of um, presences. You know, he's, you've got um, <clears throat> Uh, Paul Barber and Billy Murray and that they're, they're all quite a, a diverse and Nick Moran of course all quite a diverse group and you've had you've had to write for these characters uh, to make them quite distinctive and I guess that helps having having such a, a diverse bunch of actors to sort of bring those characters to life. Yeah yeah very much so um, so I mean I was writing very kind of specifically for for all of them occasionally there would be like cast changes so you'd, you'd start you know chipping away and rewriting certain characters but um yeah for the most part the the renegades themselves we knew for a fair while who was playing who yeah um the last kind of renegade to come in was paul barber um mm -hmm. because it, it was just a role that was a little bit more difficult to fill and then you know we went through a few lists here and there and then he came in as well and you know that was really pleasing for me well, he's quite he's quite left field casting as well. I wouldn't have expected yeah. to see him in that role, but he but he's really good in it. He re, he really works really well. Yeah, I mean that was my that was my thinking. It was a little bit um, there was always supposed to be a slightly quirkier one there. So I mean there was a few other actors they looked at, and there was always they were always meant to be a little bit kind of different to the rest of the group. So yeah, Barbara kind of fitted in that way. What you know what we were looking at. Um, but like all of them, it was just sort of a pleasure to write for a lot of these legends that I'd been watching since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, from home and abroad as well. well one of the things that does stand out on this, uh, Tom, is the writing for the, the henchmen, because, because they're actually intelligent and they actually follow orders, which, which is quite unusual. You know, um, yeah. they, they see something suspicious, they act on it. You know, call the boss up. There's, there's some weirdos in, in in the club. You know that sort of thing, and it, it it's it's quite innocuous, but at the same time, it does stand out as being a little bit unique. That's good to hear. It wasn't something I was necessarily hugely conscious of, but um, you know, we wanted these these villains to be kind of intense. Um, you, you definitely want to be rooting against them. That's why uh, the villain main villain is quite kind of. He was kind of partly based on Gary Oldman in Leon, and then obviously mm. Louis, Louis Mandalore can kind of play that kind of role and really choose scenery really well. So oh, it was brilliant, yeah. yeah. No, it's, so it's, he, it's his lieutenants, though. You know, yeah. who who are this? You know, the ones I'm talking about. I mean, if you compare these guys to the ones in, say, um, Avengement, you know, <laughs> yeah. basically just a, a pub full of thugs. You know, there, there's a reason why Louis Mandalore's gang has, has sort of started taking over this particular area you know and it isn't just sort of brute force they're actually quite smart and that, that's what sort of comes across in the film yeah so i mean mm. you know we want them to be quite uh ruthless in what they do and yeah look like they're kind of like a well-organized machine really mm. so you know those those guys are kind of like the cogs and um louis mandalore is just you know he's the one behind the wheel and he's a little bit because he's slightly unhinged he wants his you know his lieutenants to be very kind of regimental, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a bit of a micromanager sort of thing, and he's, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. 
but he's a great character, yeah. you know. And, 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 yeah, and, and Lewis Mandalore is, um, yeah, he, he's just great in the role, as, as, as Richard said. Tom, your background is in a lot, of, you know, a lot of where you've come from, where you've started from, has been sort of straight drama and horror. Uh, and I guess was this is this your first like pure action script that you've had actually? I mean, probably not the first you've written, but the first you've actually had produced. And being, I know you're a big action movie fan, so that must have been something that you've been, you know, shooting for. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a bit more of an action fan than I'd say like a horror fan or at least the set, the sort of horror films I ended up kind of getting into doing like creature features and, you know, disaster films and things like that. So mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm very sort of eclectic in my taste. So I have like wide ranging tastes anyway. So I kind of only really do things that, you know, I think, oh, I'd quite like to do one of those, quite like mm -hmm. to do one of those, but action had always been something when I was first thinking about getting into film. Yeah. Uh, action was probably one of the main ones I wanted to do, but you know, typically they're the ones that they cost tend money. to need. Yeah. They cost <laughs> more money. They need more names, you know, horror films and things like that. You can kind of get away with, you know, the concepts selling it for you, but you know, something like Renegades, you, you need Lee Majors, you need Danny Trejo and you know, the rest of the boys to yeah. sell it. Yeah, one of the other films you wrote is, is it's a one of the horror ones. Actually, was um, what struck me was that the film. It's I don't think you've actually had a chance to see the final film. Um, or correct me if I'm wrong, but the Van Helsing film. There's lots of sort of nods to things like Commando and stuff in that film. There's, there there are action scenes in it, uh, and I, I was wondering, you know, what when you got given that project to do, or you were sort of gestating that was like films like Steven Seagal movies an influence on sort of developing that that film's ideas? I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of that, those kind of, all that kind of era of films, really. Mm. Um, and I was a little bit kind of influenced by things like Highlander as well, kind of yep. like fusing fantasy with action. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of an immortal yeah. warrior in the present day kind of storyline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that one was kind of a little bit of a fusion with sort of action and horror. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I was quite influenced by <clears throat> basically sort of 80s and 90s films for the most part on that one. Yeah. And a little you... bit by the, the the Hugh Jackman one, I guess. I've, I've always quite enjoyed that one in oh, spite yeah. of maybe some of its flaws. Yeah. So have you got yeah. the, are there other action projects sort of gestating or is it more sort of the horror stuff that's and the and the and the disaster movie stuff i guess which is sort of taking off a bit more now as well yeah so i think with the the disaster movies i've kind of done my cycle on that um so there's i think one more due out which is the sky monster or the sky kraken oh okay uh, yeah that's already been written produced mm -hmm. and it's just a case of when it comes out when they finish off the uh the VFX. Um, mm. Or they don't affect the finish up the VFX. <laughs> as, as, is the, as is the case with some films, they seem to push yeah. them out before they're ready. You know, they um, they get the, the, the distributors get a bit yeah. antsy and they're like, no, we need content. We're just going to put it out. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, horror, I'm, I'm still kind of doing, I'm sort of stepping, 
I've got three projects which aren't on IMDb yet. Um, we can't be too specific, but I've got three projects on the go with Mark Lester, mm -hmm. um, as in director of Commando. Wow. Okay. Oh. Um, so he's still two. Going? Yeah, he's, st he's still doing the business. Um, did you guys see The Gardener with? Um, no, it's high on my must-see list. But yeah. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, Gary Daniels and uh, Robert Bronzy. Bronzy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Mark Lester exec produced that one. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm doing a couple of um, sort of IP adaptation horror films with him because mm -hmm. um, that seems to be the in thing at the moment, sort of IPs and adaptations and things. And then um, I'm hopefully going to be doing an action thriller kind of in the vein of Straw Dogs as well, yeah. um, alongside Nathan Shepka. Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah, so myself and him will possibly be producing something uh, which Mark will oversee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you guys did uh, When Darkness Falls. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, any other, have you guys worked on any other projects or was that sort of the, the sort of starting point for you guys, that particular film? Yeah, that we'd been developing a film before then called The Clan, which was kind of mm -hmm. like The Hills Have Eyes that kind of thing um, mm -hmm. set in the Scottish Highlands. But in terms of uh, what we would have needed for the budget, it was a way, way beyond what we had eventually for When Darkness Falls. So we kind of stripped everything back and did a small film first. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, we're looking at the moment at doing a kind of, a kind, a kind of sort of folky, uh, spiritual horror film called baby in the basket so mm -hmm. we're developing that one at the moment we're going to put that into crowdfunding in early spring and then hopefully shoot later in the year mm -hmm. but at the moment i'm kind of actively having a little bit of a shift into producing stuff myself as well now yeah i think that's a natural progression for you i think you've you mm. you, you, you worked on you did production on uh, of some of your, your earlier shorts and stuff, I believe, working with your brother. Is that right? Yeah. So I think, you know, when I was first starting out, you kind of get to a point sometimes where you're trying to get your scripts out there and it's just mm -hmm. not happening, uh, you know, for one reason or another, or, you know, people are just, they'll get to a certain point and then the film just collapses and it just doesn't get made. So mm -hmm. I sort of took the bull by the horns really and then, produced a couple of co-produced a couple of shorts um couple with a friend of mine called alex lawton so we did out together which was like a crime drama mm -hmm. then winter hill just yeah i think i remember you guys yeah i really love me a nice review for that one thanks thanks again for that one um yeah and then uh i did uh, a couple with my brother and uh once I got my first feature commission, it just snowballed. So I've kind of not had time, but, you know, I get to a point where I, I kind of want to have a bit more control again. Um, so were you saying that, I mean, how much control of say, you know, like other films, it seems like you're quite involved with Renegades, but other films, you know, like any, casting or anything like that or is that all left down to the directors or um 
it might for the most part it's down to the directors i mean mm. i can make suggestions here and there i think like nicola wright who you guys probably know has appeared in a load of, sort of scott jeffrey films um i'd actually cast her i worked on a thai feature film about four or five years ago mm-hmm. now um and i was head of casting on that for the uk mm. side um, I cast her in that and then I recommended her to Scott Jeffrey for something else. And, you know, that's kind of snowballed and she's ended up, you know, doing, I think she does like five or six films a year for them. Mm-hmm. And I like yeah. to think she's like the, the best in their stables. You know, I don't want to get too, <laughs> too mm-hmm. arrogant about it, but, you know, I, I picked her out. Come on, Scott, give me some credit. <laughs> <laughs> But no, otherwise, you know, it's just, just the producers, directors, they tend to have most say on the casting. So for the most part, I'm quite happy with how these things are cast. There's some things where I think maybe someone's miscast or if you're going to have a character with, you know, American accents, which is a, that's a, usually a prerequisite for a lot of these films. You yeah. need to at least get someone who can do the accent. Um, and I sometimes think, you know, some you get some good actors and they can't quite do the accent. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it can be a little bit frustrating when you, you don't have that control or of having the perfect person you might visualise in a role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In something like Renegades, though, I mean, it's just like being a kid in a candy store. So whatever they throw at me, it's like, yep, that'll do. Lee Majors, yep, not a problem. I'll, I'll take <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, because you're you're kind of working at two sort of broad, broad end, still in the you know very much in the sort of uh, low budget end of the, the film industry, but at the t- sort of two extremes, you've got like the sort of, sort of quite micro budget productions on one end, and then you've got something like Renegades, which is you know half must a lot of the budget must have been in the casting alone, but the the film itself has a good visual you know look and, and stuff about it, so the whole the whole production is raised to a good standard. The um, that must be quite interesting sort of navigating that and uh, sort of uh thinking of what 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 the what the next steps could possibly be and you know working on the working on like a higher budget production maybe would you would you like to do it like a scott adkins movie for example oh yeah most definitely yeah i'd love to do that um it would be have you gestated any ideas for a for a sort of a, a martial arts action movie that scott could could be in not without not no, you know not saying what the what the synopsis is or anything but just sort of how, are you are you sort of bubbling anything away uh not right now i mean i've got a few action projects kind of in the vault and uh a couple more with shogun which will hopefully come out in the next or hopefully go in front of cameras in the next year or so well, hopefully um, a renegade sequel mm-hmm. possibly yeah i mean the, the, that's the, been... the end does promise that they will return yeah so <laughs> Not giving anything away. <laughs> <laughs> it's been tentatively talked about. I think they've got two or three things probably in a queue um, before then. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you kind of need a year or so to judge how the first one's done, whether it's mm-hmm. worth doing another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly be up for kind of going back into that world again. Um, but it's something that I think, I'd need another sort of year or so as well, just to sort of get things out of the way and, you know, progress on other things before I went back there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah 
it's something that I, I wouldn't be looking at immediately, but I don't think um, Jonathan and the rest are looking at it, at it immediately either. They've got two or three things that are in the queue. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and uh, Shogun's a new company, you know, you, you don't want to start resting too much on one particular, you know, franchise or, or whatever you want to, want to term it, you know, you've got to present a diverse slate to the market. And um, I just wanted to ask you, how do you think we've got to this point where, you know, in the old, not so long ago, low budget, micro budget, you know, director DVD, British movies were pretty rare. You know, you, uh, you had people like Steve Lawson, Stephen M. Smith, and the late Andrew Jones, you know, doing doing a lot of stuff um, in the market and getting in supermarkets and whatnot. And the supermarket thing has kind of dropped out. Yeah. The, the number of productions and, the, you know, the number of companies sort of being set up, or, you, you know, your jagged edges and your, your proportions are, co are coming in. And there's... There seems to be the number of productions are actually multiplying now. We've we've kind of reached we've come to a point where it, there's like an explosion of British, you know, my, low budget, micro budget British horror uh, in particular genre films as, as broadly, but a lot of, a lot of emphasis on horror. horror although, um, like you say, we've had films like um, The Gardener sort of stretching that, bringing in, you know, uh, action uh, oh, and uh, what was it, The Exorcist Vengeance movie which also try to combine the action and the horror. How do you think we've got to this particular point at this point in time? So, you know, like guys like, I guess, Stephen Smith and the late great Andrew Jones, they were kind of instrumental, I think, in sort of forging this new, I guess, lower budget answer to sort of Hammer Horror and Charles Band and things like that. You know, um, I think it all came from sort of having cheap equipment that was almost readily available it was a, suddenly it was more doable mm -hmm. um i think with the the advent of streaming as well i think because that's become so kind of big and there's so many avenues and platforms that are constantly multiplying and needing more more content mm. you've also got you know wider options of where you can distribute your films you, you know YouTube kind of launched and became bigger and bigger and bigger and people have, you know, been self-distributing on there as well. So it's it's a case of where maybe 20 years ago it would be very difficult to go off and make a film for like, you know, 10 grand, but you could probably do that nowadays, mm -hmm. um, you know, collaborating with people and just gathering up and doing a film to start you off, really. I think that's what um, uh, Scott Jeffrey and Rebecca Matthews did. Mm -hmm. so they started off they did a film for you know literally hundreds of pounds um and that kind of they got that picked up by distribution distributors and then the distributors come back and then they say well could you make something else and then we'll, you know we'll front you the budget for it so it kind of snowballs from there really mm -hmm. um i'm surprised it keeps on generating the kind of the interest in the movement at the moment in Britain, because whilst there's a lot of these companies making films, there's not too many distribution avenues that are, you know, purely British. So you get, mm -hmm. you know, you get labels like high flyers, but there's not too many, too many other ones. And there's not too much money that comes from Britain. So most of my sort of horror films where I've collaborated with people like Scott Jeffrey, um, 
most of them are are from ITN distribution and they're an American company. Yeah. So I tend to find that's the case really that, you know, I'm working vicariously through uh, American companies a lot of the times, even though we're, you know, we're making predominantly British films. Yeah. But I think, you know, because it's so oversaturated in the U S hmm. um, you know there's a there's a big differential as well in some regions in the us between here in terms of like location costs and things like that so someone like mark lester for example he likes to use british production companies because we can get cheaper locations over here particularly for certain kind of style of locations so if you want grand houses and things like that it's uh it costs a fraction of what it might cost out in la yeah okay mm. Cool. <laughs> I think we've co- drawn to a close there. Our first review then is Renegades. When a retired Green Beret soldier is murdered by an international drug gang in London, four of his veteran SAS comrades set out to avenge him, dispensing their own brand of justice on the streets of London. Um, as we mentioned, this was written by our colleague or erstwhile colleague, uh, Tom Jolliffe. Um, it is a, it's got an amazing cast, that's for sure. Um, Steve, good cast. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's yeah. an embarrassment of riches, this isn't it really? Um, Steve, what did you actually make of the film itself? Uh, I enjoyed this. Um, it's it's a Rontil movie. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Um, there's no big surprises really, but it's shot well, the script is good, the acting is more or less all right. There's a couple that I weren't too impressed with. Um, but yeah, it's it's enjoyable, it's funny. Um, it, it's like to me, it's like a British expendables, you know, they all get together mm-hmm. and do what has to be done, basically. And yeah, I was quite surprised to see, you know, some of the names in there, you know, Lee Majors and uh, Danny Trejo, um, which you'll find out a bit more about later, I suppose. Um, But yeah, all in all, really enjoyed it. It is a very eclectic cast, um, Rich, this one. Um, Mm. On the one hand, we've got some, you know, familiar British faces, um, but at the same time, we've got these, you know, these these guys who come in, um, big names from the states and and, and elsewhere, um, sort of bolstering the cast, and and they're used quite um, quite profusely throughout the, the film as well. Yeah, you got you got the film. It, it's kind of it kind of gone for this core cast of which is enough of in itself but say in that sort of expendables fashion they've peppered in loads of other people you know you know one minute you've got uh, lee majors next you know later on you might have stephanie beecham uh michael brandon uh you know it's it's and then you've got um uh the the sort of core cast which is led by nick moran uh, probably best known from Lockstock and two smoking barrels as mm. like his it's like that was like his first big lead, I think, where he's called broke through, and obviously Guy Ritchie's 
big breakthrough movie, but he's gone on to play a lot of fair, quite varied characters, but kind of can more recently sort of quite rough characters, like in uh, in Avengement. He was pretty. Mm. He, was, he was a pretty rough mm. character in that, and I think this the, the character here is a little bit of a relation of that those kind of performances more than uh, you know some of his sort of earlier more clean cut stuff. Um, I think he's pretty good here as the as the um, you know PTSD suffering you know uh, soldier who ends up in this kind of support group uh, setup, and it's kind of the and then they become you know that they, they lean on their skills when. Uh, when one of their number is, you know, is uh, is uh, unfairly uh, uh, murdered. Well, you mm. know, unfairly is, is murdered basically. So, yeah. uh, I won't say who that is uh, at this present time. But then, we, you know, they it, it becomes fairly typical kind of action stuff from there on, where they're sort of trying to track down the uh, the villains uh, led by Lewis Mandalore and uh, mm. having various encounters with. With other people, you know, as I say, like you've got Danny Trejo on one side, mm-hmm. and you've got Stephanie Beecher or Patsy Kenzie, someone on the other. It's 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 amazing. I mean, the, the film. If even if you don't like, you know, even if you're not drawn in by the story, I think you'd be thoroughly engaged by playing, you know, spot the celeb sort of thing. Yeah. The yeah. Whatever. But the fact that it's really good and it, you know it's good fun, uh, working within some quite visible constraints. You know the 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 action scenes are not as explosive and stuff as you know as we might have liked them to be. You know back in the day, uh, you know there's um you know CGI muzzle flash kind of stuff rather than um, rather than more uh, convincing uh, action. You know uh, gunfire and explosions and stuff in that sense. Mm. But the but the cast really carry it, and you know Tom's script's really good with sort of drawing out you know establishing all these characters and juggling them really because this isn't like, looks mm. like a half movie but you've got so many print you know you know uh, nick moran's like sort of the principal and, and ian ogilvy sort of second to him but every every character has to have their moment to shine and then you've got the cutaways to danny you know danny trejo michael Paré, or top tiny lister in one of his his final roles um um it's a, oh, I should mention uh, Billy Murray, sort of one of uh, Jonathan Softcott as uh, stock players yeah. uh, here, uh, as well as his wife uh, Janine Narissa Softcott is is there as well. It's just so so many people, and I think they all do well with their characters. I really I thought Lee Majors was was good, and uh, Lewis Mandalore uh, is a great villain. He, he he's we've said it before. I think Lewis Mandalore, you can put him in pretty much any role. Mm. He can be the sort of supporting mm. character. He can be the action hero. He can be the villain. He he, he can do them all. And, and I, I I enjoy seeing him in all the. I mean, Hell Hath No Fury, the Jesse Johnson yeah. film we saw him in recently. The uh, what's the Gary Daniels movie that he did, where he was a bad guy? Oh, um, Bring Him Back Dead. Bring Him Back Dead. Yeah. Bring Him Back Dead. So yeah, I think there's apart from a couple of sort of dodgy moments uh, in terms of performance. There's a bit where Patsy Kensit basically comes home and finds Nick Moran in her house. Yeah. And it's and it, unfortunately it's awful. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah. really unconvincing performance. Um, uh, but and you know, but I can you know I don't you know it's it is what it is. Um, Patsy Kenzie actually I haven't seen her in a, a movie for ages. I mean, if you mm. think back, you know she was in Lethal Weapon too, for heaven's sake. And yeah, um, time, uh, time, yeah, she was doing all the films like Angels time and Insects. Was that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, mm -hmm. Full Eclipse, the werewolf thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the... He was doing a lot of American oh, yeah. movies Mario and Hunter. stuff at the time. So, as well as a you know pop music career, mm -hmm. um, but she was very successful. So, yeah, it was good. To, um, I think once her character settles down, it was all right, but she's not in it a huge amount. But mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie Beecham, say, is a cameo. But Ian Ogilvy is kind of like the... He's kind of the star of the show here, I think. I think Ian Ogilvy's just got such amazing presence and charm. Yeah. Uh, that that you know uh, this um, bit like uh, the previous sort of uh, there was another another film the we we still kill the old way and we still yeah, steal the old way yeah. that he did before which mm. we talked about he was the lead in those and uh, I think he's great he's he was he's one of those again uh, TV actors he took over mm. from Roger Moore on the Saint the, the Return of the Saint yeah and uh, he's kind of been here and there and everywhere in in the film in the film world um but these films are kind of putting him in the spotlight and i think that's great uh, and he and he's definitely rising to the challenge he he would make if someone was ever to write it he would make a good retired james bond yeah you know what i mean a retired double yeah. agent basically there, there's um there, there was a oh what was it that that the, the transporter refueled. I don't know if you ever saw that one. I did. Yeah, I wasn't we, impressed, but I did. <laughs> I I, I yeah. liked it. Um, but the um, the main character's dad, who was played by uh, Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson. Yeah, that's the kind of role that he played. He he literally was. Yeah, in everything but name, he he was. Um, you know, James Bond retired, uh, mm -hmm. and that's how he played the character. And I I could really see. Uh, Ian Ogilvy doing, doing something similar. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, he, he you know he's just got amazing presence. Um, Louis Man Louis Mandalore, Louis Mandalore also. Um, he 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 just engages in every scene he does. You know, um, yeah, just completely believable in the role. And he gets um, to be Australian in this one. And he gets to be Australian. Yeah, yeah, which is good. But you know, the clothes he wears and everything. You know, he he just looks really smart. You know. Um, He's running this really nasty criminal empire, you know, doing trafficking and drugs and all sorts, um, and and just not batting an eyelid, you know, being, being shown a, you know, a, a van load of um, scared girls who have been sold off, and he's like, yep, okay, load them up, you know, clean them off, clean them off. Um, Nick Moran gets a really good monologue uh, when, when he meets the guys uh, when he goes to this sort of support group, and that you know that was really good really sold the character um, and the sort of the, the, the trauma that he's, he's constantly living through. Um, it was very solid. The, the only sort of thing I can really, the only sort of really downside for me with this is a little bit of oomph could be needed in a couple of the scenes. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is they, they've even got their own intro song you know, we're renegade, when, when the, renegade, renegade, renegade. Mm. all that sort of stuff. And I just wished, I just which wished, doesn't fit them at all, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. fit the character. Scene. <laughs> it doesn't fit the scene. That's that's the issue. Um, I, I just wish they'd approach that. You know, basically they they turn up at the bad guys headquarters sort of thing and they literally just sort of stroll in and i'm thinking it needs slow-mo shots it needed close-ups of each of the characters mm -hmm. you know that sort of thing but I, you know I, I imagine that just comes down to budget and timing you know yeah. what, what time they could sort of spend on the scene um 
but it really could have benefited from that extra bit of bombast, really. But other than that, I, I thought this was very solid, a very enjoyable film. Yeah, just mentioning that song, it doesn't it, it doesn't really fit, but at the same time, it's very, very catchy. Right. <laughs> I, do, yeah, really I do like it. I just keep thinking about it after the film. But yeah, it's 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 it was an odd choice. It's kind mm. of the it's kind of the sort of thing they were doing in the two thousands or, or whatever. It was just like, yeah, we'll we'll do this movie and then get a a rap song in it for, for sort of no real reason. Yeah. Well, they, well, this this could be down to the production companies. You know, it, it, I mean, um, it, it could be down to the, the American partners saying, "Oh, we we've got this artist on 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 our books. We'd like to put one of his songs on the soundtrack or something." You know, right. is it? So mm. there you go. Yeah, director, anyway, it's Amer so American director mm -hmm. Daniels really this one. He's done um, quite a few, quite a diverse amount of films. But uh, did we cover Hollow Point? The film they did with um, uh, Luke um, Luke Goss. Did we cover that? One? I don't Rings think the bell. I, did. I think I may have reviewed it. Oh, I haven't seen it. No, it's um, the one with got Jay Moore and stuff in it. I haven't seen that one. But no, he's got a film with Marcos Raw that I'm and uh, Johnny Strong that I'm really looking forward to called Invincible. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know mm -hmm. that one. But he's yeah. got you know he's got he's got quite an extensive filmography so he, you know he's done action before it's just it's just sort of interesting mm. to, oh and the asian connection the pretty rubbish steven cigar film um he, okay. he did that one as well and and oh he's he's worked all over he's done all sorts but uh yeah i thought it was quite um yeah the um i thought you know i think he's he's brought something to the table but i think it still has a very sort of british look and feel the cinematography is by a guy called vince knight who i'll probably mention again Later, who seems to be able to uh, give a good look to to you know working on low budgets, but he sort of gives it a good sheen mm -hmm. uh, with with the with his with his work and um, yeah. So I think the sort of start, you know, yes, it's got its problems. It's got some slight flaws here and there, but for what it is, I think it delivers absolutely, and um, it's 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 well above average for for some of the sort of low budget films that we've we've seen lately especially sort of mm. what people are trying to do in the uk with um you know with, with the sort of more limited resources i wouldn't i will it's a different kettle of fish to a an i am vengeance you know it's not yeah like, it's not that kind of movie yeah but it's it's definitely uh sort of mid-tier you know well worth seeing you know it's, it's not it wouldn't play well in a cinema but i think it's it's definitely a friday night a beer and a pizza kind of movie uh, and yeah. i think I think it was, I think it will do well. I think the cast alone makes it, you know, fantastic watch. Indeed. On that note, how are we going to score it, Steve? Um, I'll give it an eight. All right, I'm giving it a seven. And Rich, I am going to give. I I loved it. I enjoyed it uh, even more the second time round. I think I'm going to give it a high seven. Okay then. Uh, two sevens and an eight for Renegades. Go check it out. Our next film is Fire Nado. A team of scientists inadvertently create a twister filled with fuel which catches fire. <gasps> a Fire Nado. Meanwhile, a mob accountant finds himself under siege by opportunistic armed robbers. I'm sort of starting to see a bit of a theme with some of uh, our colleague Tom Jolliffe's work, um, <laughs> whereby he is able to take a premise 
and the, do something relatively different with it, you know, so, so it almost becomes incidental to the actual film itself. So we, we have this setup of, of uh, scientists, uh, this trio of possibly, you know, amateur scientists who come up with this sort of technology for um, uh, mucking around with tornadoes, basically, and it goes horribly wrong. Um, this thing gets filled with a fuel and um, and gets ignited. So then, you know, basically a, a huge twister of fire sort of burning across the um, uh, the countryside. And, you know, th these people trying to warn people that, that who are in its path. Um, it's an interesting mix. It's it's also one of these cases where the trailer is a lot better than the actual film itself, because what the trailer is able to hide are the are the very long dead spots in 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 the in the film where nothing is happening for, for mm. long periods, which is a shame. Uh, Steve, how did you get on with Fire Nado? Yeah, it's it's all right. It's I think what what they're struggling to do with these is match up the content to the budget. You know what I mean? Yes. It's it's very cheaply done. Um, you know, it's mainly set in a VW camper van. Really, you know, that's without without even back screen. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's literally just you know a curtain across the back of it. I get what you're saying. It's like, you know, we'll chuck in like something else we're going to come to later. You know, we've got the natural disaster going on, but we'll cross it with like a home invasion heist type movie. You know, which does, like, which does save on the budget a lot. You know, you're, yeah. you're, not, having, you're not having to destroy monuments or anything to, you know, for, for no, state. No. You can concentrate on a bit more sort of human drama. Yeah, and again, like we were saying earlier, it's supposed, I presume it's supposed to be set in America because they are talking with American accents, but it's clearly shot in somewhere like Scottish Highlands. And, you know, it doesn't really replicate where it should be. Hmm. But it's it's an interesting concept. It's done quite well. It it They just do need a budget or decent effects, you know, say something along the lines of uh, Memo Monsters from years ago, Gareth Evans did. Yes. You know, which he, I think he made for peanuts, but because it, it was a VFX thing, the effects were great. You know, he did mm. it all himself. And they kind of need something like that or more more of a budget just to give it that bit of spit and polish, to be fair. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Rich, how about yourself? So I watched this after the film we're going to talk about next. <laughs> uh, and mm -hmm. they're quite comparable. And I thought this was the, without giving too much away, I definitely thought this was the better of the two. And I think there's a couple of Agreed. Yeah. key things mm -hmm. I liked about it. One, I thought some of it was shot really, really well. Um, the director, uh, the cinematographer, Vince Knight, who, who did Renegades, I think he's... You know, he, he, he's got a good eye and he works with the light and the shadows and, and stuff. And he seems to love red filters, um, mm. especially with this. A lot of the time, the fire, the fire NATO is represented by 
some red light too red mm. really i think it, it should be sort of a more of a yeah an orangey but it, if, if you watch two or three films that he's done it, it seems to be like a signature thing that he does this sort of red uh, red lighting in some in in at least one scene in, in the movies that he does but say the um there's a couple of uh, when you get towards the end i think there's a there's a couple of really nice locations the um uh, there's like this house that was a great wonderful looking establishing shot i don't know if yeah. it's like they've shot that or whether they bought that in i'm not sure mm. you know where they shot it or whatever but it, it's it, if if they did buy it in it, it combined well i thought and um it, it looked really strong uh the the other thing i really liked, liked about it was the human threat i thought the villains led uh, the villain the main villain mm -hmm. uh, played by uh, jamie robertson who i couldn't mm. who i had a lot of trouble finding out what what is that because i couldn't remember the name of his character in the movie and imdb doesn't have it listed him listed on the film so i was struggling to find out who you know who this guy crazy, was isn't it? Yeah. Not it's such an, it. such an important part of the film and he's he's yeah not even credited at movie. the moment yeah so yeah jamie robertson i thought he was i thought he was really solid um mm. it, you know as this um you know gangster sort of uh, trying to get but, unlike his, his sort of the guy he's after which is the uh mm. very handsome very impressive looking um he looks a bit like ryan felipe isn't he? a little bit daniel mm -hmm. yeah, I can, yeah i can see it or an alex pettifer or something like that he, i mean he's definitely got a presence but unfortunately mm. they got him to do this american accent it's, which is alabama accent sort of thing yeah. he, just, he just it just doesn't come off it doesn't doesn't pull off i mean most of the cast no. are right but some of the accent yeah. stuff just isn't working as, as it doesn't fit the character either does it it really doesn't no i think it's yeah. they wanted to do it for i say that's what i agree with steve it's like muddled i was thinking you know where is this set mm. you know is it is yeah. it americans in the uk is it is it supposed to be america i wasn't sure but mm. whether i missed something but i also there was another thing i thought was strange actually was they do this um uh announcement about the about the finado and it, and it's on it's on like it's on radio and i was thinking yeah. who would listen to it on the radio surely it would be on a tv but they don't i guess it's a budget thing you know it's easier to yeah, yeah. audio yeah. Than to do a fake news broadcasting so so i thought that was quite interesting um funny but overall i did have a, it's from dark abyss productions which is one of the um outfits a bit like jagged edge and um proportion and stuff but i don't think i've seen one of the dark abyss productions before and uh this is directed by reese uh, freight waterfield and scott jeffrey scott jeffrey i think did um i mean they've done tons but mm. um clown doll i think was one of the early ones that we covered oh yeah um, mm. and reese freight waterfield is uh behind the winnie the pooh blood and honey movie i believe mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of sort of a you know one of many films that they're making it's just it's because of its concept and stuff it's it's really broken out and sort of become this huge uh snakes on a plane kind of uh phenomenon uh it'll be interesting to see how people react to it when it actually comes out when people do actually see it uh i'm really interested so it's going to be a lot high, more high profile than some others but yeah so he is co-direct their co-directors on this one um this sort of concept's been done before you know we've seen like casper van dean i think went after fire twisters and stuff in one of his films. that was a good one that was was that an mm. asylum one where he's sure a fire so. chief so yeah we did cover it and it was actually quite a lot of fun apart yeah. from one one really nasty out of character really nasty murder in it <laughs> <laughs> which, which is weird 
but um, overall, I thought there's some good bits. Like, um, you know, there's those like little funny weird bits, like uh, that Tom's obviously put in the script. Like, there, there is camper van. And he goes right now. Let's engage the hyperdrive, and he like yeah. turns yeah. On, like this, uh, like uh, clicks on the nos or something, which is like a really weird moment. Yeah. But it was quite fun. I enjoyed it. Um, the uh, what was the? I thought actually the visual effects at times were really rather decent. Um, yeah. Uh, say, especially at the beginning, head. especially you know when they when they're sort of experimenting with the with the twister at the beginning, I thought that, that was yeah. actually quite well done. Mm. And say so, picturesque location. There were sort of little funny things like when I first when the film starts and it introduces a female character, she's brushing her teeth, but she's yeah. clearly not brushing her teeth mm. <laughs> because there's no toothpaste or anything. <laughs> she's just she's got got the toothbrush in her mouth. <laughs> it's mm. like it's not. I'm I'm out of the movie already because you're like you're showing me you're brushing your teeth, but you're clearly not. Well, it was such a weird, weird place to start with a character, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I suppose they wanted to sort of juxtapose her, you know, her introduction with uh, Daniel Godfrey's introduction. Because mm -hmm. um, they both start off in a similar way, sort of looking in the mirror, you know, in the, in the bathroom. Mm. But yeah, it, it, it's just weird. Yeah, they start with a character brushing her teeth for some reason. Yeah, anyway. so, but say, going back to Daniel Godfrey, unfortunately, because the, the accent thing's this issue, but the guys, you know, He's a handsome guy. He's got great presence. You know, put mm. him in the right role. Uh, I mean, I've looked on his IMDb. I don't think he's done a huge amount yet that, that mm. I've seen, but I think he's definitely got. He's got something. Yeah, and definitely watch him with it. Whatever yeah. accent is his normal accent, you know, the stick with. That. Yeah, least, well, it's yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, so I'm sure he must be from from the UK, but because um, mm. so. But uh, yeah, he's got. There's a short film called Blinkers that I'm on the lookout for, and. He's got a couple of other things coming up, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. So I think he's one to watch. It's just this wasn't quite the right role for yeah. him. But he he's got um, and who was the heroine uh, that he ends up um, uh, uh, up with? That's uh, Sean Sean Altman as Anna. Yeah. I thought she was good as well. I haven't. I'm not familiar familiar with her. I haven't seen her before. That's one of the great things about these movies. Although you do see, you know. Uh, Rick actors, you know, familiar, a bit like watching Steve Lawson's films, you see the same people turn up, which is mm. fun in itself. But then there's the people you haven't seen before, and you, you discover people that you, you, you'd be interested to see more of what they're able to do and, you know, follow their careers and, you know, where, where are they going to break out and stuff. So, um, this, I, I like this film for a number of reasons, and it, it really exceeded my expectations. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but it, I, I think it just needed to be tighter, basically. I, I, I can mm. live with the effects, you know, mm. the, the, some of the dodgy bits. Um, accent wobbles, as we talked about. Uh, but, yeah, it, it just needed to be a bit tighter in places. Um, but, you know, they've probably, probably been told to sort of come in at a particular runtime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on yeah. that point, how are we going to score it? Over to Steve? I'll give it a six. Mm -hmm. And Rich? Yeah, I'm marking it down because of the accents thing. If they'd have just set it in the UK, that would have been better, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, six. But then you couldn't have a tornado, mate. That's the problem, isn't it? Oh, so it's not set in the UK then. Mm. Okay, fair enough. I'd never even thought about that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm we've had like one tornado in, in, in the whole of the history of the UK and it, and it knocked over a, a, bill, um, a sandwich board or something. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I ne you know what? I never, I, I never applied that level of logic to the film. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, well, I'm giving it a six as well. So it's three sixes, all for different reasons. 
We should note that this one, uh, at least on the copy we saw, did not credit Tom Jolliffe. Uh, That's it, correct. Yeah, I noticed that. It misattributed it to um, to another guy called, uh, I believe, um, uh, Craig uh, McCleary, I think. Mm. Uh, whether that's been corrected by the time you know it, you guys are, are, are watching it, um, but it's certainly on the screener that we watched, it it, it didn't have so Tom. But this is yeah. Tom's got his fingerprints all over it. Absolutely, three sixes for Fionado. Go check it out. Our next review is Mega Lightning. After a violent thunderstorm scares a house party, the guests flee to a nearby home for shelter, only to discover a more sinister hand is at play. Um, again, we have what could be, you know, in other hands, in other budgets, a, a big disaster movie. Um, but here, uh, Tom Jolliffe, our friend and a guest this week, um, has opted to, to basically have the mega lightning almost in the background and have this um, sort of sinister um, sort of kidnap plot going on um, in the foreground. Steve, over to you. Yeah, like, like I was saying, with, you know, the last one, Fionado, you've got your natural disaster slash, well, Sars the Lamb slasher movie, really. Mm. Um, but it it didn't really work as much for me, this one. Um, again, I thought the I thought the performances were pretty pretty good, except the is it Jordan, the killer? Uh, Richard Kovac, who, I thought Who has speaketh in <laughs> Stupid, yeah, uh, oldie worldy English and Shakespearean times. Yeah, Forsuka. it was just yes. bollocks in a way. <laughs> you know, I just, I just didn't see any need for it, and no. I just thought his performance was pretty weak. To be fair, I thought he was terrible. Uh, but there's other parts of like like May Kelly as Meg. We've seen her quite a lot recently, really. Um, she was in, she was in the Nutcracker North. Massacre. Yeah, and is it graphic designs as well. Oh, right. Okay. That. Yeah. Now, is it well. me, or is she not a dead ringer for Sadie Sink? From, yeah, from... kind of. Kind of. She's like, like an English Sadie Sink, really. Um, but, like I say, from, that nut, from the Nutcracker Massacre, it's a completely different character. Mm. And... She actually, I thought she actually turned in a good performance this time. I didn't, I really didn't like her in Nutcracker, but in this, I thought she was pretty damn good. And I like the dad as well. I don't know why. It's just a bit of a shame what happens to the dad. But I did like some of the character characterization because there was something, um, like with with Meg, there was something there, like an intimacy issue. And mm-hmm. you know the the boyfriend's kind of like you know he seemed to be you know like a yard man just after what he could get, but he actually did seem quite a genuine. You know, no, it's fine. We're not wishing anything. You know, really nice kind of guy. And then you've got a sister's boyfriend who's an absolute dick. Yeah, absolutely. Who, <laughs> you know, 
And it just like messed, messed with your expectations a bit, I thought. Um, but apart from that, yeah, some of it was just a little bit rough. And it, I mean, some the effects again aren't, aren't going to be the best in the world. But yeah, apart from that, yeah, it, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich, what are your thoughts on uh, Mega Lightning? So this is definitely a tear down from Fionado. It's just not got mm. just the, the sort of the, the things that I thought lifted Fionado up. This this doesn't have, um, but it's still a lot of fun. I did like a bit like you. I I wasn't really struck with May Kelly her character at least in Nutcracker Massacre, but mm. here she's playing a much more likable character, and that seems to fit her better. Uh, yeah, she's she's I liked her and her sister as well, who I. I she doesn't seem to be credited on the on the IMDb uh, listing for the for this page, but um, uh, her, the actress playing her sister. Although they, I don't know if this was just me, but it seemed like the family all had different accents. But maybe that was just me. But it, uh, but her, they were good. Um, the um, what was it? Yeah, unfortunately, the, say the th- the the secondary plot, the sort of thriller plot with the uh, with the kidnapper, you know, the sort of miseryish kind of stuff that's going on or whatever science of the lambs the mm. um yeah that was oh it was overacted and the the sort yeah. of old english speaking things just doesn't work that unfortunately that was a a very weak part of the movie it brings it down as where i say like fine don't love the villain i thought it was really strong performance that really lifted it up this one unfortunately it, it kind of drags it down a bit there's um there's also the visual effects, which aren't as good. And there's some silly, I mean, you can have, I mean, these are like British asylum movies, basically, which I love. I love the fact that they're even being made, yeah. which is great. But the, um, some of the, some of the bits just sort of a bit, uh, don't quite well. I thought, okay, there's an opening, there's a bit at the start where the cut, where uh, one of the characters get, they do the, Tom does the trick of the, the old cliche of the car doesn't start, which I, I had a lot of fun yeah. with. And, I thought the car was just going to get like struck by lightning or something, but they do- it doesn't. It's something much more dramatic happens. And although it's a cheap visual effect, I liked it. I thought it was a great little, uh, <laughs> great little moment. Um, there's, you know, the the plot contrivances are, you know, sort of bugged me a bit. You know, in terms of, okay, uh, certain characters have ventured out and got into an accident, and mm. stuffs happen, and then the other characters magically find them it's like i was thinking of all yeah. the area i mean unless i miss something there, there's a huge amount of you know woodland and whatever and they've just ma- just happened in the dark they just happened to stumble across these people uh, that just sort of wound me up a little bit of just being too a bit too neat and tidy um early prior to that though when the then when the thing happens so a character gets knocked down by the tree and he's like staring up okay he's clearly breathing <laughs> which, which, yeah. which, which was a bit comical but okay accepting that in the movie he's he's supposed to be dead or nearly dead perhaps he doesn't get checked on <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's just like there's barely any shock factor or, or any sort of attempt it's like oh we got oh he must be dead then <laughs> it's like no you know, he could still be alive check him for a pulse or yeah. something <laughs> i think so, actually if i did funny enough i think it was um I think it was a Charlie Steeds film, um, uh, Werewolf in London, Werewolf in England, oh, and it yeah. had that sort of thing where they're going, 
like oh, oh we, you know we, we got to press on he came in the background going i'm still alive which like, <laughs> <laughs> i thought was brilliant it's um, like yeah it's just yeah. a presumption oh he's dead it's like yeah. no, no i'm not yeah. we've got to think <laughs> of ourselves like, like, will ferrell in austin powers i'm very badly burned <laughs> like, yeah yeah no one's gonna go check on him yeah, um, exactly. so yeah i think i i did i found it a bit of a slog to be honest mm-hmm. um but there were things I liked about it, um, and say there's there's a couple of little snappy little moments, and you know the I do I did enjoy the sort of um, the lead you know May Kelly and um, a couple of the other char- uh, actors, but for the most part it yeah it didn't do much for me. Um, I'll be honest. A long time ago, and I'm talking a long time ago, um, there was rumours of a script that was going to star Sylvester Stallone on an island, like a Hawaiian island or something like this, or mm-hmm. some sort of tropical island, and there was going to be a hurricane and robbers turning up to rob something, and he was going to have to defend it. And I can't remember if it was like the writer's strike or budget you know, overruns and it got shelled. Um, and then we had films like um, oh, what's the Christian Slater one? With Morgan Freeman? Hard in rain. The rain. Hard rain, yeah hard rain um you know and and recently we've had things like skyscraper with um uh, Dwayne Johnson Dwayne Johnson yeah. and then and then uh, I suppose the, the most accessible one for this sort of thing you know, the most touchstone is Hurricane Heist with uh Ryan yeah. Quantum and um, oh yeah somebody else and, and yeah. Uh, but the, unfortunately even Hurricane you know Hurricane Heist wasn't that good either you know um it, so so you know the idea of sort of melding you know, disaster movie with action or, you know, thriller elements. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't really been fully realised yet, I don't think. Um, but anyway, mm. uh, just out of curiosity, what, if any, is your favourite death scene from Mega Lightning? Probably the boyfriend in the in the jacuzzi. Yes, of course it is. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't help. I mean, the, the only way really I got through this film was, was by channeling my inner Beavis and Butthead, uh, mm-hmm. and just like, and that particular scene in the jacuzzi, because it yeah. did look like he was just having an orgasm explosion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the was his character? Was his character supposed to be um, the, uh, her, the the other sister, the sister's boyfriend, or just yeah. a friend? Because I could. Because she was getting really dressed up uh, mm. for this party, and he just turns up like a slob or whatever. And I'm just thinking, that can't be a rather half, sure, <laughs> surely. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it, it just anyway, yeah, the the, the the jacuzzi thing. Sorry, Mike, I interrupted. Jacuzzi, though, it was, was it was just hilarious. <laughs> you know, lightning just keeps hitting it and hitting it, and the water's frothing away, and he's jerking away. It, it just looks hilarious. It's jerking away. It the, literally um, yeah. jerking away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is, I should say, there's an explanation for this. Which is that the, the the theory is that the lightning is being drawn to uh, the human body, the sort of heat signature or, yeah. or of, the, of the human body, which is why people why it's see because at the beginning it's like the lightning is like intentionally coming after people, mm. which is what's quite funny at the beginning. Uh, the beginning is a bit weird. We we have this sort of prologue, which yeah. is a, you know the, uh, sort of thing. I was like, where is this set? Because both actors seem to be Australian. Their, their accents mm. just seemed really weird. And I was thinking, are we in the outback? What's, what's, you know, what is going on? I had no idea where it was meant to be set. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly bothered 
by the cheapness of the special effects. What I'm more bothered by is the lack of sound effects to go with them. Mm. Um, there well, are think... times things happen and there's just no sound. You know, cracks appear in walls and things like this. And it's like, it, it, it's completely silent. It's just, yeah. it just I... sort of stuff happens. Well, this is a key thing. I think. I think even in Fireado and stuff, we we do mm. see this quite a lot with um, some of these films. Just I don't know if they just run out of money or they don't have the resources. Yeah, but I think that's what it is. Yeah. Complete sound mixes. Mm. Um, I know. I, uh, yeah, some I films I've watched. Well, I mean, we watched one. Uh, I think it was one we also spoke to Tom about. Was they the version we saw wasn't actually supposed to be the version that was actually released. There was actually a, a version with the sound, with the missing sound mm. of like a shotgun being fired or something. Oh, and that's right. Yeah. The, it was the end. It was the very last bit of, um, yeah. Uh, what was the film? Was called? it When Darkness Falls? Was yeah. When, when Darkness Falls. Darkness Falls. That was, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So this sort of thing. So again, this becomes one of those little sort of niggly bits, but I mm. can kind of sort of get past it, but yeah, it it is noticeable. Unfortunately, if you think it, well, that there's supposed to be a, a big sound there you know you, you're expecting it you know mm. you know the conventions of, of what's expected and uh when when Absolutely. it's there it sort of feels a bit abs you know the absence is notable exactly yeah um but yeah the, you know the, the death scenes were quite funny and and it is you know someone gets struck by lightning not once not twice like three times in a row so like, it's yeah. it's like really really vindictive <laughs> it's quite, yeah quite amusing That's that's what I was thinking. It's like it's yeah. almost like it's like a Jaws of the Revenge kind of thing. It's like the lightning is angry. <laughs> the lightning yes. is actually coming after people. Yeah, the lightning's which, out for which, revenge. Wow. Which, in a way, I actually wish that was what it was <laughs> because that yeah. would be so mad. <laughs> it would be pretty crazy. I don't offer any explanation. It just is doing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with no reason whatsoever, no logic. Indeed. Right. How are we going to score Mega Lightning, Steve? I'll give it a five. Mm -hmm. And Rich? Yes. Uh, because there's a nice little line in there that Tom puts about watching a film about a fire tornado. He does. That's I'm going right. to give it a yeah. five. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Self-referencing his work. Good one. Yes. Okay. Why not? Five. So three fives for Mega Lightning. This is mega low budget. Um so, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. Don't expect Twister or anything like that. Um, but there is some fun to be had here for sure. So three fives for Mega Lightning. Go check it out. Our final review this week is Wrath of Van Helsing. Van Helsing is called upon to help save a missing girl and her friends from a horde of demons. Um, not so much a horde, I think, as a demon, IMDb, <laughs> but um, we'll see. Um, okay, so this is our final film of this episode, written by Tom, um, our guest. How did he get on with this one, Steve? Um, not very well, to be fair. Now, you know, Mega Lightning, Micro Budget, this is even smaller. It, I, I like some of the makeup. I thought, mm -hmm. you know, some of the makeup effects are quite good, but it's basically just setting a lot of tunnels and there's just people running around. The action was dreadful. 
it was like you didn't see any punch, kick, bullet, sword, stake, anything connect at all. The CGI blood squibs were dreadful. And it was basically, let's just put a red light in a tunnel and film it from there. Um, performances, again, weren't great. I thought the guy playing Van Helsing um, was terrible. It's, you know, let's look silent and brooding and that'll do for the whole thing. Yeah, I, I thought this one was a real letdown, to be fair. Mm. Um, Rich, this is directed by um, Scott Jeffrey, uh, whose work we've come across before. Um, yeah, he with, did the um, previous one, uh, Mega Lightning, I think. Uh, he did Fionado, in fact. Oh, Fionado, sorry. Yeah, uh, also <laughs> Exorcist Vengeance, um, which uh, me, and, me and Steve covered oh, uh, last God, yeah. year. Um and uh clown doll, which which I you know I I begrudgingly think we we did give a bit short shrift to that one I think um but he did do a film back in 2019 called uh the final scream which he mm -hmm. also wrote, wrote the screenplay for and I really like that 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 was a really good very imaginative uh script. Um, it was all about filmmaking, you know, it's it about this actress sort of going on to a film set uh, or being invited to a film set. Um, it turns out the director is a bit of a nutcase, but that that was actually sort of really good. Um, Clown Doll, I think we, we sort of ripped into the um, the puppet a bit too much, but uh, yeah, he, he's, he's a pr pretty prolific director. He did uh, Kingdom of the Dinosaurs as well, which I think we covered as yeah. Valley of yeah. the Dinosaurs. Yeah. last year as well so um you know how how do you see this film in keeping with his um his previous work i like i do like that you know he, he is so prolific you know he's, mm. he's doing all these projects i don't think they're all you know landing i think some of i think this one is weaker uh, i do like what him and tom were trying to go for it seems mm. with this mm. it is uh it's an action horror film you know sort of um shades of uh, you could say blade i think more like the steven seagal film against the dark but on a much much lower budget um with a sort of sword building uh hero the so michael hode is is the guy uh, playing playing van helsing here now uh, interesting we were talking uh, a little while ago about transformers the last night and funnily mm. enough he was in it <laughs> oh, right. uh, in, a, in a small role, uh, because he's a he's an actor and, and director, uh, but but also a stuntman. So he's he kind of does writing, directing, and stuff. He did a <clears throat> he did a film called Shoguns of Jimbox, which we saw at Fighting Spirit. Yes, that was good. Uh, he he wrote and directed that. Yeah, uh, which I, which I really liked. Uh, I don't think I've seen him in a sort of a, a film lead before. But yeah, I, it, it it's it's it is what it is. I think it doesn't quite work, but I like the sort of setup of the uh <clears throat> it's a, a bit like that film bunker 717 that we watched mm. you know mm. on a like on a much lower even you know that wasn't a big budget movie but it was a very sort of slick movie but this is like that on a much lower budget where they go into this um uh, derrick, sort of thing yeah. yeah sort of thing and then sort of wandering around the yeah. tunnel and then they get 
captured by the vampires slash demons. And uh, from then on, I thought it was going to be more about the girls, and it wasn't. It was kind of they're kind of the inciting incident. It's got like mm. they they um, yeah. they become uh, just there to be rescued, basically after yeah. all, or, or, or turned. Um, and you know, it does become a sort of uh, action hero out to rescue. And they do put in some, you know, there's some. Uh, Commando-ish, kind of sort of getting tooled up kind of moments, and you know, go there. I didn't have a huge. I didn't mind the action. I thought it, you know, for what for working within the limitations that they clearly had, I didn't mind it. Uh, the I I was okay with that. Um, but it is it is the film that's the budget limitations are very apparent. It's it's quite compare. You know, when you look at some we having watched the disaster movies, which are quite broad canvas films with big you know spectacular at least establishing shots mm. or you know or distance shots of like houses and you know or lake district or whatever it was some nice looking places uh, and this is very much concentrated you know narrowly on a, on one particular location that's not very picturesque there's not a lot of production value you get from 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 that Although, you know there's a there's something to be said for it but it's not a, a particularly uh, maybe if you know you get someone you know you get a stronger cinematographer could get more out of it maybe but still um yeah i had some problems the weird it's got um on the imdb it's got sarah Alings- alexandra marks credited as being in it i'm pretty sure she was not in it i don't i don't think i saw her in it because um i always enjoy seeing her turn up and stuff but i, I didn't mm-hmm. see her in this. um so yeah interesting to see an action horror sort of hybrid um some of it worked for me, you know, so it's a fairly standard sort of rescue mission plot, but yeah, it's, I think you're coming in under the title Van Helsing. Um, you've got certain expectations. I think they're doing something a little bit different with it, but don't really have the money to to mm. do too mm. much with it. So therefore I appreciate that they haven't gone in a fairly um, routine sort of, you know, vampire movie kind of thing. Cause this isn't really a vampire movie. That's what's quite interesting is this, uh, they're more, I mean, they're actually called, referred to, as, which surprised me, as Cenobites at one point. Yeah, yeah. really. And they actually do yeah. look like, they do look like the Cenobites. It does, Cenobite yeah. Movie, yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that, that sort of seemed like a bit of a copyright infringement <laughs> uh, mm. kind of thing at the moment, but I, because I looked up Cenobite, is it like a term that, you know, is in more wide use, but it, it seems to refer specifically to like a, to a monastic, like a monastic order kind of thing, rather oh. than what Clive Barker's Cenobites oh, okay. were, but I thought you know. So he hadn't I, coined the phrase. So it's, uh, it's no, it is it is a term, but he sort yeah. of recontextualized it and sort of in the pop in sort of pop culture of what mm-hmm. Cenobite means to people. And I think this this film, the the creatures, which I do think there are there is some good makeup effects here. I mean, we've we've talked about um, various films that have sort of quite static makeup. You know, that's mm. the. The, you know the, the the lack of animation and stuff is 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 a weakness, but which I think is is a problem on a variety of budgets. I think they're they're actually pretty good that are here. Um, but I would say if you're after something action horror with this kind of setting, I would say uh, Matt Rutledge's uh, Tribal Get Out Alive is a much much better example, uh, yeah. and probably didn't have any more money you know probably maybe a little bit more money but i wouldn't have said a huge amount more money uh this i would put these two together and you know sort of they're they're sort of chalk and cheese in terms of quality unfortunately 
Yeah, I think mm -hmm. for me, um, the, the word that comes out, it comes to mind is rushed. You know, this, I, I think they had a very short production um, sort of time scale for this. Um, uh, and certainly no time for any of the action beats to sort of really be, you know, sort of, sort of fleshed out in, it, in yeah. any sort of significant way. Um, I think some of the dialogue scenes could be tighter. There's certain choices of phrasing, which seems odd at times. There, there's one scene where um, Van Helsing is berating someone for sneaking up to him at night when it's clearly daytime. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it was sort of shooting day for night, but forgot to put the night filter on the, on the uh -huh. thing. Um, there's a scene towards the beginning where one of the girls just falls over for convenience's sake so she can be captured. You know, mm. there's absolutely no reason for her to, to fall over. She just sort of turns around and just falls flat on her face, which is just ridiculous. Um, they do this kind of thing with the characters, don't they? Like you mm. say, the girls, they get captured, but they try to do this kind of like Brides of Dracula kind of thing where they're mm. getting turned and sort of they, and you know, a couple of them are like ganging up on one of the others and stuff like that, yeah. which yeah. That, that just sort of didn't quite fit with the rest of what was happening with the... Mm. I don't think the, the villains, you know, the creatures or whatever and what they were doing was very clearly defined. You yeah. know, what, 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 were, what were they there for and were they sort of vampiric or, or what? So I'm, whether I, that, again, that might be me sort of zoning out and missing something. I'm perfectly willing to say that's that's my problem, but there seemed a little bit of an inconsistency about whether they were making a vampire movie, yeah, or a you know demons in the demons in the sort of um, you know haunted in, you know uh, derelict whatever nuclear bunker or whatever the hell it was supposed to be. There is there is some nice cinematography here. Um, one of the opening shots of the girls waiting for their friends to turn up is really well framed. Mm -hmm. With the, yeah, um, like that, the, the um, causeway slip. going, yeah, the yeah, causeway, yeah, yeah, sort of thing going on. I thought that was that was really nice. There, there's there's a an unintentionally funny moment. Uh, it, it looks really nicely shot when they sort of Van Helsing and his friend are sort of staring out to sea you know, on on the mm. coast on on the beachfront, and uh, you know the old couple come to to be introduced, and then his friend sort of tries to walk off, but because they're standing on like rocks. Mm -hmm. And he's, you sort of see him sort of like really cage and he's sort of like trying to figure out where to put his feet as he, as he sort of <laughs> tries to get out a shot, which was quite amusing. Um, you know, but there are, there are some sort of nice touches here and there. I, I just wish, you know, a bit more money, a bit more time to sort of develop what they were, they're going for, but it would have been great. But it, it, it's, not, it's not a complete disaster, that's for sure. No, no, I definitely think there's, you know, there's there's things about it, and I'm I'm glad I've watched it. I enjoyed watching it. Um, I think the, um, I say the Van Helsing angle sort of hooks you in. I don't think it makes it has the money or whatever to make the most of that mm. theme. Uh, you know, it could have been just could have just just been anything sort of generic. But, but again, that's the power of like a, yeah. a re recognizable, you know, name or something that you know that that they can just get hold of and you know use copyright free. Yeah. It's interesting because so, Steve Lawson probably would have had the same budget. As well, he this. made a Van Helsing film, didn't he? he has, like a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. But, but yeah. you know, it would have had half the cast and and one location. You know, um, whereas this is a bit more expansive. 
you know, I mean, they've they've gone, you know, a little bit more ambition than, than maybe what. Yeah, not, I mean, yeah, you have got some a couple of yeah. There's there are a few more. I, I, it, although it does feel like most of it's taking place in that um in those mm. sort of corridors and stuff. Um, it there are a very you know there's like the parents' house and like you say the yeah. sort of the the sort mm. of uh, seaside bit, yeah, the seaside bit and everything. There's there is a bit more to it, but yeah, yeah. but and you know, it, but it is short and stuff. I would say. Um, that's another thing about a lot of these films that we haven't mentioned. A lot of the running times are really short. I mean, Fire Nado, I think, was out about an hour and fifteen minutes long. That was another thing I really liked about it. That was it was like it didn't, you know, mm. knew, it knew when to sort of um, to, yeah. to to, to fold up. them, yeah. basically. Yeah. So this one, interestingly, is it's it had its release on YouTube, as far as we can tell. Mm. Uh, it's uh, this seems to be quite common now that a lot of these films. Uh, from these particular companies are they're they're going in one or two directions they're either ending up on like prime or something for rent uh, mm. or they're turning up on on youtube or both so um this was this is on a, a couple of different channels on youtube uh, but i think uh, mega lightning has had like a you know you can go and rent it on amazon kind of release but it's also uh, uh free on youtube and uh, mm. then, and then you got something like Fireado, which I think is probably more, more, more just a rental. So yeah, it's interesting to see where you know these films are going in different directions. I think in this case, YouTube is kind of the right place for it to end up. Um, uh, it's not the sort of thing you'd really want to pay like three pound fifty to rent. Okay. On that note, guys, how are we going to score it? I'll give it a four. Okay, and Rich. Yeah, I'm going to go four as well. I believe it is a four. It is definitely the lesser of the th uh, four films that we were in tonight. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, there are things we, we did like about it. Um, hope that comes across. Um, you know, if, if you like this sort of thing, definitely go check it out. Okay, so it's time for the short shot. We're doing something a little bit different this week. Uh, we're not going to be reviewing a film. But what we're going to be doing is uh, talking with our guest, uh, Tom Jolliffe, about a new uh, short that he's got uh, playing. It's not available yet, but it's something to, to sort of look out at, at festivals. It's called Estranged. Uh, and it sort of takes, Tom, it takes you back to some of the sort of uh, your dramatic roots, this one. Can you just tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, I mean, at the yeah, it was probably four years ago now. I think I shot this one. Mm -hmm. um, Taking a while to sort of yeah, find it, its way. It took a little while. So, a few months prior, I'd been working on the Thai feature film I mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. I was doing casting and um, locations on that. Uh, I'd been tasked with filling a bus full of extras. And uh, the lead actress in Estranged, I met her via doing the casting on this film. Um, and then Is she sort Eden of helped. June? Yeah, Eden June. Mm -hmm. So she, uh, she kind of helped. She was like, she's just starting out as an actress or was at the time, mm -hmm. mostly kind of in a theatre background. But she was quite interested in doing, um, uh, you know, some fiction films. And uh, we kind of got talking about certain projects. I'd kind of had a gestating idea based on 
just this idea of like cross cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been out in China maybe six months or a year or so prior. And uh, so at, my wife's from China. She's from the north of China. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd been visiting her sort of hometown. And there's a big kind of community of uh, Koreans up there because uh, it's not too far from like the North Korean border and the South Korean area as well. So they get mm-hmm. quite a lot of uh, like a Korean community, but like, you know, like many places, they kind of get, I, I guess they get kind of pushed to like ghettos and they get a little bit, um, I guess, marginalized by some, some people. So I kind of had this idea of like a family being split, maybe, uh, so the background of the film is that there's a Korean mother and a Chinese dad. They kind of split up. The two kids get split up as well. Uh, you know, at a stage where they're too young to to remember it. So, you know, they kind of reconnect in, in Britain, sort of, you know, 30 odd years later. And that's where my kind of story kicks off from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of developed that with, with Eden um you know you know I was very intent on writing a drama at the time because a couple of the films I'd written before including Out which is a crime drama Mm. and I've just started chipping away at features and things every everything seemed to revolve around someone at some point dying so (laughs) or getting shot you know blasted with a shotgun or something so I thought I need to you know pull back and do something a bit more tame a bit nicer Mm-hmm. um yeah so I wrote that but I wanted to make sure she was kind of involved in the creative process to just say if that doesn't ring true that you know I need to change that and then it was the same when we cast um Yu Rao who was in that as well mm-hmm. as the she's she plays the Chinese sister as well yeah, Maggie. So part, yeah so part of the reason I wanted to keep that kind of idea of um you know someone has has been raised with the Chinese heritage, someone's been raised with Korean heritage. Um, because I didn't want to sort of go and cast a Korean actress to play Chinese or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to, to feel a bit more authentic. So yeah, we went and made the film. It was kind of like a collaborative process. We didn't have any money to do anything really that elaborate. So where was the location for the, that, that um, um, very ornate a building uh, in the park yeah i think that was i think it's victoria park in east london oh okay um yeah it's a bit of a point of con- production value in itself doesn't it yeah. somewhere like that to be able to shoot yeah the it was great in terms of the visual and how right. it looked but it was a nightmare for sound because i think we ch- we chose duck day or something they're just masses of ducks and geese mm-hmm. and they were just making constant noise um so that was one lesson learned from that one and uh despite the fact i'd never done it before i was the sound recordist that day as well uh-huh. which is another one of those um one of the beauties of like low budget indie filmmaking or micro budget filmmaking yeah um you've got to be able to multitask and kind of learn on the job mm-hmm. uh so we just about managed to sort of clean the sound on that eventually the film got stuck in post a little bit 
for a while because being a kind of collaborative film, we were waiting to try and find someone to do the score, mm-hmm. um, which we eventually we did. So yeah, a couple of years ago, it started its festival run. It got a little bit delayed because of COVID. A couple of the festivals got kind of uh, cancelled, then pushed back. Mm-hmm. So our final festival, I think, is going to be May time. I think it's called the Asian on Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so after that, it should be released in spring, sort of mid to late spring, I think. Great. Um, just wanted to ask, what's striking of uh, one of the key striking things about it is it's a it's a story about two women, uh, and obviously, I was just wondering, you know, how do you 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 write quite a lot of sort of macho characters and stuff in 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 the action and, and some of the horror stuff, but um, films like. Uh, this and and you know even some of your genre stuff like the witches of Amateurville, you're writing for for uh, for women. H- how do you feel? How how do you adjust to you know adjust uh, to writing for female characters? And you know how have you how do you find that? Or do you, or do you find it quite easy to do? Uh, I just raise my voice a little. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's. Um, I think with um, something like a strange, for example, we did quite a lot of. Um, we had a couple of meetings prior to the film where we, I guess we workshopped it a little bit. So mm-hmm. we went over and made notes on the script and maybe things that did work or didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was more, that was, you know, both from a cultural side and I guess from, uh, from a gender side as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then from something like Witches of Amateurville, I kind of knew the, the three principal actresses who would be in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a sequel written for that, by the way, so that might be coming out. Uh, that might be shooting later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I kind of knew who I was writing for, and being as two of them were producers, so they're kind of okay in the script, and they're they're saying maybe that doesn't work or this doesn't work, and then you know come the the shoot. Um, they did a little bit of ad-libbing as well. So yeah, I think it probably, I do my best, but yeah, um, ultimately I think you've got to write not not just, uh, you know, characters you relate to yourself, but you've got to be able to sort of step into the shoes of characters that you might not necessarily relate to as well. And I guess that that goes as far as including villains and, you know, people like that as well. Yeah. So are there any, I mean, uh, I guess my closing question uh, for this part of the show would be, are you developing any other short film ideas that you're hoping to sort of get off the ground or are you strictly focusing on features now? I've kind of got a few short, because I love doing films in the short form. It's quite, mm-hmm. um, it's quite freeing, I guess, in some ways that you're not bound by you know, three act structures and things like that, particularly as like, if you're working via distributors, they want things quite formulaic. So, you know, you can be a bit more experimental, I guess, with um, a short film. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm gonna develop a few short films to shoot with my brother. And then what I might do is do maybe a collection of five or six and then have them partly connected in some way and then put them in together in like an anthology oh yeah um because i think the one thing with short films is it's really difficult to distribute 
um, this is quite difficult to find avenues where you can put them out afterwards uh, mm -hmm. after you've done your, your festival runs so yeah I think I will look to maybe compile them into one longer feature and then um, then there's more avenues where I can take it and yeah hopefully release it yeah sure and that seems that's quite a common approach that I think a lot I mean not in terms of somebody making their own short films but you're finding certain production uh, you know the the IT ends of this world you know other com companies like that are saying oh let's buy these bunch of films hire someone to do a top and a tail on it and then you know release it as a feature that seems to be some, something we're seeing quite a lot of now um which is which is good in a way but it, it, i find some of it's bad for consistency whereas if you've got some, somebody like yourself who's involved in in the production of all of them you can bring a sort of coherence to to that approach i would say yeah yeah very much so yeah i think it's difficult in terms of finding distribution for mm. anthologies yeah um but i think because there's so many kind of um you know self-distribution routes at the moment it's you know it's worth doing i think yeah and we mentioned you, you, your brother just in passing a couple of times there the the, the film that he directed uh, and you wrote that was a particular note uh, to me and we covered it on the show uh, was the dark recess so that's uh, we'll just sort of uh, give a mention that that's uh, still out there. That's available to rent on uh, on Amazon and probably other platforms as well. That's that's a that's a half hour short that one. So um, you you guys sort of developed a, a much more involved story there. Yeah, I think that was that was another one where you know we we didn't want to kind of go and waste money and spend too much on making a short. We just wanted to kind of pick up a camera and kind of go really. Um, and yeah, it was quite freeing to do that. Um, and, you know, do something that we could kind of, you know, have full autonomy on, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Estranged, uh, say, it's still doing its festival run. Uh, keep an eye out for it. Uh, when it is released, we will put out a link uh, for you guys to follow uh, on our Twitter page, uh, DTV Short Shots. Our DTV throwback this week is Keaton's Cop. When a ruthless mob hitman mistakenly murders the wrong guy, a detective and his partner are ordered to protect the intended target in this hard-edged action comedy. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see this one, so straight over to Steve. <laughs> what did you make of this? Um, very, very... 90s shall we say um, it is from canon so yes definitely yeah yeah obviously um i don't know it's a little bit well it starts off like a bit of a buddy cop movie and then transfers to something like midnight run in a way yeah and then then goes completely haywire i don't know it, he definitely likes throwing people through windows. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as was the think, fashion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think there's five in the first 10 minutes, something daft like that. Um, <clears throat> it is what it is. It's a cheap 90s buddy cop movie, buddy gangster 
movie. You know, there's no great shakes there. I mean, the action's quite good. Uh, the um, especially the uh, the the chase scene, shall we say, the car chase scene. I thought that was that was done really, really well. And um, but it just kind of peters out at the end. Really, there's no big action scene at the end. It's just literally like a flame going through a house. You know, that's that's about it. But yeah, it was okay. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. This um, you know, this stars um, Lee Majors. Um, oh God, what was it? Twenty-two years ago. So um, a little bit, a bit more towards his prime than, than say crazy. he is in. Um, yeah, thirty-two yeah, years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't add up. Yes, thirty-two <laughs> years. Okay, I'm wishing I was yeah. still forty something. Um, so yeah, Lee Majors sort of more towards his prime than he is now, but. Um, yeah. He's still described as an aging cop, though, isn't he? He is. I like that. Yeah, yeah. this old past it cop, and it's like thirty-two years ago. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. God. Now he's a retired SAS officer or something. Um, yeah. So, so how did he get on with this one? I seem to. I sort of vaguely remembered watching it years ago on TV, um, and thinking, "Oh, it's the guy from Full Guy," because um, mm-hmm. I was more of a Full Guy person myself than me too, six million me too. dollar man um i think we were the full guy generation yeah yeah because when I, when I was growing up they were doing the kind of the repeats of it on um probably itv or something like that early in the morning mm-hmm. um yeah so i was always quite a big big fan of that show um so i kind of knew of lee majors around about the time i first saw it and obviously looking back now i kind of enjoyed this one i think it's one of those late era canon films it's kind of like post the golan and globus split mm-hmm. so it's kind of like half mm-hmm. semi semi canon um i'm not too sure which one of the ones produced it actually but this one it's kind of like that that era where they're kind of starting to pump stuff out on video just before they fully died out yeah um it's one of those action comedies where they don't quite nail the action or the comedy. Yeah. Kind of reminded me in that way of something like Rescue Me with um, Michael Dudikoff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is kind of like a road movie, you know, mismatched buddy kind of thing. Um, but I kind of, I still kind of find, found it enjoyable, watchable. Um, yeah, like Stephen says, you know, the, the him throwing people through windows constantly <laughs> is a good source of entertainment. Um, there's a bit of kind of interplay between you know him and Don Rickles, and then him and the uh, the the gangster he has to protect. Um, Played by Abe Vigoda. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. It's enjoy. It was quite enjoyable. I mean, they don't really kind of nail anything particularly well, but it's it's one of those where you might find it like late night on a Friday and kind of switch on and then you know, it probably passes the time quite well. Yeah, I had it on, I had it on VHS, you know, back, way back when. I wish I'd he- kept hold of it because it's really hard to get hold of now. Um, the film is, you know, uh, we found it on YouTube um, mm. and uh, it's, it doesn't seem to be anywhere else uh, from what we can tell, but this was a, uh, a straight to VHS release here in the UK. And yeah, I can kind of see why um, the it, apart from that, uh, 
like Steve said about the car chase, it's a really long car chase. It just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. And going. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was a bit tired of it, but it was a good car chase. That's good stuff in it. Uh, and I quite liked it. But the it is it is kind of like an action film without much action. Um, there's not a lot. And yeah, the comedy doesn't really always land. So it's kind of a bit weird. The um, um, Lee Majors is the lead, but he's sort of consigned to being the straight man. And I don't think the film capitalizes on what he's capable of bringing. I mean, you know, he, he was on the full guy for several, you know, years and, and six million dollar man as well for for a reason. And I don't think that the, this film sort of gives him anything to do apart from throw people out windows and, you know, sort of be, you know, a, a, a stand in sort of Clint Eastwood kind of figure, really. But I did enjoy it. I, did, I, th I think it's, you know, it is of its time. Uh, it's got its... Um, it's got its chance. It's quite quite unusual in the you know sort of Don Rickles is the, is the partner who dies and he he wants to sort of avenge uh, mm. in a sense. And um, Abe Vigoda is is the is the Keaton of the title who who he's kind of body, which is where the like the Midnight Run stuff that Steve was saying comes in. And it is it does become this cop and a crook kind of double act film. Which, uh, yeah, there's loads of examples. My Blue Heaven is a favourite. I mean, that wasn't a cop movie, but that was um, mm. uh, Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, Steve which Martin. worked a lot yeah. better, I thought. Um, I love, I really loved that film when it came out. The, um, so this is... It's not great, and it's got some problems. I mean, they kind of really fast-track a romance for him at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's just, a, you know, it's a very... I say of its time, sort of macho, misogynistic at times, kind of uh, representation of of. I mean, uh, he goes to his wife, ex-wife's house, and gets upset that she's got someone there and throws him out the window. I mean, uh, and it, <laughs> it's and it's like, yeah, that's completely understandable. Why should that's terrible that she should? That's <laughs> a very ma yeah. macho sort of um, misogynistic sort of worldview that that was quite prevalent back then, uh, and uh, I think you know, and then they sort of turn it around and say oh it's okay for him to have a relationship you know so, but his wife's not allowed to yeah. i know she's supposed to have you know done him over and whatever but you know it's that kind of last boy scoutish kind of thing but the um i I, th I thought it was it doesn't outstay its welcome it's quite you know quite a breezy watch for what it is but it is sort of the abe vagoda show for the most part and lee majors sort of doesn't really get to sort of, sort of stretch very much so I'm, i can kind of understand why it wasn't much of a hit but we don't have many films like this where lee majors was the lead so i'm glad that it that it was made and that it exists um majors was more obviously was much more of a tv star what i find quite interesting with this one is uh comparing it when we're talking about like renegades well, renegades is, is about a bunch of elderly action heroes and here we are with lee majors teaming up with abe, abe vagoda who was no spring chicken <laughs> or, or, you know he, he, he's basically He's in a retirement home <laughs> at the start of the movie when the when the bad guys are trying to assassinate him, and, and so it, it's about a, it's about an elderly man. It's an action movie about an elderly man, <laughs> so, which I thought yeah. was quite um quite a timely sort of tie in. Um, I would say it's worth seeing, but it's not it's no Renegades. Indeed. So so I think in in summation, uh, what we're saying is that Keaton's cop has a decent car chase. Lots of people being thrown out of windows, 
and it knows yeah. when to and it knows when to go get its coat. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so it's it, it's kind of it, it's a lesser tier canon movie, probably along the line, you know, on the same level as something like Three from the Heat. The uh, Robert I mean, Ginty like, one, you know. It's, it's, I'm yeah, not sure. Uh, Collision Course, the Jay Leno, Pat Marita movie, oh, might, yeah, be, might yeah. be another good sort of mm-hmm. one from the same period, sort of yeah. site as a as an example. There were loads of them. They were doing buddy cops left, oh, right, yeah. and center, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Or buddy cops or buddy, you know, s- certain situations. Mm-hmm. It was the in thing. I mean, this is very much, I feel, this is 1990, so it was kind of at the I mean, there was still a long way to go with the buddy cop movie, obviously, and it's still going now, but kind of as you were getting from the 80s into the 90s, it kind of run out of a lot of ideas. And even Clint Eastwood had done a couple that... You well, know, he'd done, yeah. Bombed. I mean, the Deadpool came out two years previously. Oh, well, that's and Deadpool. It, uh, <laughs> and, and it is the sort of thing that um, The Last Action Hero was taking the piss out of as well, with its um, it, it's teaming up of, of like different buddies. So yeah. you had like the cartoon yeah. cat teaming yeah. up with somebody, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, oh my god, what else can we do? <laughs> you know, you well, Whoopi Goldberg and a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you had the hidden Dark Angel. You know, all that sort of stuff. All sorts um, of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. I would say I'd say it's worth a watch, Mike. I would say it's worth mm-hmm. seeing at some point. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've we've managed to find a copy of this on YouTube. Um, it isn't available on any of the major streaming services as far as we can tell in the UK at least you know god knows probably on two, might be on Tubi but... might be on Tubi in America yeah, they, they seem to get everything um but yeah it's it's probably worth checking out and that's the end of this week's show so thanks to Tom for joining us thanks a lot for having me on yeah no problem mate um obviously you don't know what we think of your films right now <laughs> <laughs> But um, it's a ten out of ten for me, anyway. So mm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at the DTV Digest. Also, our short shots page, where Richard puts a new short link on every evening around about eight o'clock. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.